Samuel and the prophets, and then you get into Jesus and you get into Revelation, you see the way that God, from the beginning, and we're actually going to talk about that tonight, even before the beginning, had a plan, had a purpose, and that unfolds throughout all of Scripture. Can you turn me down just a little bit, Dwayne? So, Bible overview. It's going to take me a little bit to get warmed up into this, too, because we're coming out of the purple book. Is that too much? You good? You guys still hear me good? Yes? Okay. Coming out of the purple book, you knew each and every week kind of exactly what you were going to teach. Now, we would kind of pick a spark or something that stood out to us as teachers. You get into Genesis, we may have kind of an idea, but there may be, each one of us could teach this lesson, and it would all be similar, but then there would be something that stood out to me that maybe didn't stand out to Pastor Brown. And so that's where we're going to be doing a Bible overview, but each one of us is going to try each and every time that we do this to give you information, historical information, right? Cultural information, spiritual. We want to see what is that thing. And we want it to have a little bit of a prophetic edge to it. That's the way we want to teach. I don't just want to come up here, give you a bunch of information. I want to give you a word, something that I see in Scripture, whatever we're studying, that is a word for you. But before we dive into Genesis, let's talk just a little bit about the Bible. I'm going to ask you guys some questions. It's not a quiz, all right? I'm not going to ask you any fancy questions. I just want to lay the groundwork, so I think we've got some slides that kind of go with this, but Bible overview. So I looked up the definition of the word overview. It basically means a survey, a, a looking at the big picture, or putting it all together, a summary. So our Bible is cut into what we would call two testaments or two covenants, and so you have the old and the new. All together, you have how many books in the Bible? 66. 66 books in the Bible. How many of those are in the Old Testament? Do you know? 39. 39 books in your Old Testament, which leaves 27 for the new. Now, that's, you don't have to know that to get to heaven, but it's just helpful information. You want to quiz somebody? There you go. 66 books, 39 in the Old, uh, 27 in the new. Here's the thing. There's 40, and this is kind of, uh, some people will, will disagree with this. That's fine. Approximately 40 writers. A lot of times when you read that, they'll say 40 authors. Okay, that's fine. I use the word writers for a particular reason. There's 40 writers. There's one author. Okay, do you see the distinction I just made there? 40 writers, but there's one author, and that's God. Okay, and that's what we see. So uh, 2 Timothy 3 says, all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or is God breathed, right? That's, that's God moving. And then when you get to 2 Peter 1.20, Peter says this, No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but, listen to this, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So yes, Peter wrote. Yes, Paul wrote. But they were moved by God. That doesn't mean they went into a trance. They wrote the book of Romans and woke up and went, what is that? That's not how it worked, okay? God moved and worked in them. He used their personalities. Peter wrote different than Paul. Paul wrote different than Luke. But God is the one that was moving in and through them. He's the author. He's the one telling the story. They were the ones writing. Does that make sense? That's why we can say this is the word of God. This is not the word of man. Okay, that's a big distinction. This is the word of God. Yes, men wrote it, but men write all kinds of books, Right? But God is the author of this right here. So yes, he used men. Yes, they used paper, parchment, all these things to write. But it is God-breathed. It's different. It's living. It's active. Though it was written by men, it was authored by God. And that's something we need to know when we go into any type of Bible overview. So you get to 
Genesis. I think we've got a few slides we'll look at here. Just to give you a little bit of information, Pentateuch, we'll pass all that stuff. Pentateuch, Torah, that's the first five books, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So we're just diving into Genesis. And so who wrote Genesis? Well, this, you get into the scholarly world, this is debated, but I think Scripture is pretty clear that Moses wrote Genesis and, and it's given all five books that we just talked about. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses is the one commonly seen as the author. I think Scripture backs that up. So, what is Genesis? The beginnings, right? Genesis, the beginning. Uh, it can mean to be born or to be uh, brought forth, but commonly we'll say beginning because of that very first verse, right? In the beginning. So, Genesis. So, where? Egypt, Canaan, as Moses is writing this. When? You see the, the timeline there. When he wrote this, they kind of say. But as Pastor Brown said, this covers... 1,500 years. So you can read through Genesis, depending on how fast you are of a reader, uh, you can read through Genesis in a week pretty easy, and you've just read 1,500 years of human history. I mean, that, that's something we need to stop and realize. Maybe we do need to camp every once in a while. 1,500 years, a lot of things are happening, a lot of things are going on. Why? And this is one of the things we're going to look at tonight. Why? You told me who, you told me what, you told me when. Why? Why was the book of Genesis written? To demonstrate that God is sovereign and loves his creation. And so that leads us right into Genesis beginning in that verse that we all know, Genesis 1-1. We'll get that on the screen just in case. We'll go past those right there. Pass, pass, pass. Genesis 1-1. I didn't want to use the board. I thought we'd use this right here. Look a little bit better. So if you don't have your Bible, you can follow along a little bit tonight. So Genesis 1.1, probably don't even need it on the screen because you know it well enough. What does it say? In the beginning, what? God created. Okay, so you see in your book, we're going to look at your book right here, your Bible overview, where it says purpose, where it says purpose right there. I'm going to read this to you. You guys can follow along with me. Page 15 in mine, I believe they're exactly the same. Is that right, big ones and little ones? Okay. Purpose. The book of Genesis is a book about beginnings. It narrates the beginning of all things of the nations of God's people, Israel. Genesis spans many hundreds of years, more years than any other book of the Bible. These years encompass the very beginning of the universe to a time when Abram's descendants flee to Egypt, escaping a famine around the 1800s B.C. Genesis tells us about the good beginning of creation, the beginning of all human problems, and the beginning of God's solution to those problems. So, that is the purpose that they state in here. I agree with that. Okay? I agree with that. But I think there's a greater purpose. I think that's a good purpose. That's why it was written. We can talk about that. But I think there's a primary purpose. If I can give you a primary purpose to why the book of Genesis was written and every other book in the Bible was not written just to give us information about humanity or sin or wealth or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What every book of the Bible, including Genesis, is primarily written for is to inform you and me about God. So think about that. When you go to read Genesis, are you trying to read it as a self-help? You'll find a lot of good stuff in it. and You'll find some stuff that will really make you think, what is going on here? Judah, Tamar, what is all this stuff? But if you come to Scripture every time and your primary purpose when you're reading is, what does this tell me about God? If that's your primary. I'm not saying those other things aren't there. 
But the primary purpose of reading and studying the Bible is what does this tell me about God, my creator, the one who created me, the one who fashioned me, the one who formed me, the one who holds all things together. What does this tell me about him? Because if I know about him, then I can figure out all these other things. Does that make sense? Because a lot of people come to Scripture, and I've done it so many times. I come looking for, how can I fix this? What does this tell me about this? But your primary purpose needs to be, what does this tell me about God? Because when you get that, and you get that down in your spirit, and you read a story, I'm just going, it's not Genesis, but let's just go here. David and Goliath. You read David and Goliath. So many times you read it through the vein of, oh, I got a trouble. And Goliath is my trouble. Right? And you'll hear a preacher, and, I, and I, this is fine, you can do this. You have a Goliath, and you need to slay it by the power of God. Okay, that's fine. That works. But what about the fact that God said, I will make a covenant with you, and I will keep that covenant? And so here is David, who is the one that's going to be the king, who the Messiah will come through that line later. What does it tell you about God that he anointed and strengthened and empowered David to slay Goliath because he was opposing Israel and opposing the God of Israel and the covenant? That tells me the faithfulness of God. That tells me the power of God. So I begin to look at God instead of myself and my problems. Once I understand God, once I begin to understand him, who he is, then I can begin to look at my life and see it as a child of God. Does that make sense? I got some head shaking. Okay, we're going somewhere, I promise. So God is our creator. He's our king. He's our redeemer. That's the lens that I want to take to look through. As we're going to look tonight, Genesis 1 and 2. I wrote three in my notes, but I don't think we'll make it there. So in the beginning, God created. That's normally the first thing that we say. In the beginning, God created. It says the heavens and the earth. Most people read this verse, in the beginning God created, and immediately we want to start talking about creation, because that's really what the Bible does. What about before creation? This may be a little different than what you thought I was going to go with. I'm still going to get to Adam. But I have to ask this question because it's where my mind goes. In the beginning God created. I prefer to read that in the beginning God and stop. Because that tells me something right there. That tells me that before there was a creation, there was a God. If somebody asks you the question, well, where did God come from? What are you going to answer? He always existed. You don't have to try to give some sign. No, 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 no. The Bible doesn't go there. The Bible will defend and do all those things, but it is written from the vantage point that before there ever was a creation, God existed. Therefore, I know that God is eternal. Before he created, he existed. He is eternal. So, in the beginning, God, stop. Think about that. What is going on before we even get to creation? That's an important thing to look at. So, God is eternal. That means he has always existed and always will. That gives me peace. That gives me hope to know that God is eternal. Always existed, always will. So we can read Genesis in the light of the finished work of Scripture. Now this is the thing. When Moses wrote this, the rest of Scripture had not been written. We have the privilege to read Genesis 1-1 and also know the end of Revelation. And so yes, we're doing a Bible overview. Yes, we're talking about Genesis. But I've got to pull in some things tonight because what I want to do as we look through Genesis 1 and 2, 
I'm not going to sit here and say, was it 24-hour days? Was it thousands? I have my opinion on that, and I think it's something worth debating and fighting for. But I don't want to read Genesis 1 and 2 and focus on the creation because the primary purpose, again, is not to tell you about creation. Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 was written to tell you about the Creator, what it reveals about God, what it reveals about His nature, how we relate to Him. And so we have the privilege of looking through all of Scripture. We read, In the beginning God, therefore God is eternal. God has always existed. Here's the thing. We're going to get into some deep stuff, but I'm going to trust that you guys can take this, can receive this, and you'll understand where I'm going. I don't just want to know how God created, what He created. I want to know why. I want to know why. What was in the mind of God when He created? I can't go to the depths of that, okay? But Scripture reveals some things and shows us some things that we can say, okay, even before creation began, God had a plan. God had a purpose. Then I can begin to read Genesis with that light, through that lens. So, God is triune. Okay, the Bible reveals this, and this is one of those difficult, deep doctrines, but God is triune. Trinity, three in one, one in three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you're talking about plumbing the the depths of theology, but let's not worry about that. But listen, Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, Duane. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering on the face of the earth. I can't draw a whole lot from here, but I've seen that in the beginning God, and now I have an introduction of the Spirit of God. So we have the Father and the Spirit. We see that in the first two verses. But if you look through all of Scripture and the testimony of Scripture, Genesis 1.28, when God is going to create man, it says this, let us make man what? In our image. I think I gave you the wrong one. Let us make man in our image. So forget that one right there. I gave you the wrong one. But when God created, he said what? Let us make man in our image. In my Bible, it has a capital U. I don't believe it's 26, right? 26. So if you're looking at it, it's 26. Let us make man in our image. God's not speaking to the angels there. God is speaking Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. And so what about Jesus? Well, when you get to the New Testament, because we can look through the lens of the New Testament, you get to John chapter 1. And John starts out in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and he says this. In the beginning, sounds pretty similar, doesn't it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Think about that, because this this is practical for you. Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons are going to say that Jesus was created. That says how many things? All things. All things were made through Him. If he was created, that doesn't work. But if he is eternal and all things were created through the Son, that works. All things were made through him, speaking of Jesus. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Last one we're going to look at real quick. Colossians 1, 16 through 17. Again, Jesus. For by him all things were created that are in heaven And that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Again, 
all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. So here's what I'm telling you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have existed. God is eternal. God exists as a trinity, triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I promise you I'm going to tie this in somewhere. So just stick with me. Hang with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So here's the thing. What is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, doing, thinking in all of eternity? Why did God create? Revelation 13, 8. This is talking about the end times and things. It says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of what? The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now let that sink in for just a minute. The lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. I thought Jesus was slain on the cross in 3330 AD. Yeah, he was. But in the mind of God, in the plan of God, in the purpose of God, in the foreknowledge of God, Jesus was slain from before the foundation of the world. God knew what it would cost to create us. The Father planned it, the Son accepted it, and the Spirit empowered it to happen. Before God ever created, He knew what would take place. Does that make sense? Do you see that? I want you to see that because if we just go into creation and we talk about this many days or that many days, or this, that's fine. We need to do that. But I need to know why. Why did you create, God? Did you just do it to show your power? Did you just create because you could create? What is the purpose behind it? Did you create? What about all the sin and brokenness? What's going on? But when I look and I see that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that He is relational, Think about that. Before we were ever created, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in perfect communion and fellowship. God didn't create us because he was lonely. God did not create us because he was lonely. Didn't create us because he needed. Created because he wanted. But even in wanting to create it, giving us free will, like he gave to Adam, knowing what he would choose, knowing the cost to redeem, he still chose to create That's a God that creates out of love. So when you read the Genesis account, you're reading of a God who is powerful enough to create, but who is also willing to sacrifice that we might be able to be a part of that fellowship that he and the Son and the Holy Spirit have had for all of eternity. God didn't just create to put his power on display just to show it. He created to show his goodness, created to show his power, and he created knowing that he would have to redeem. So God created for his glory, but also for our good. The purpose of God in creating man is this, fellowship and communion. You want to know why you were created? I want to know that. I look at too many people that don't know why they're here. What's my purpose? What's my purpose in life? Well, I I can't always give you marry this person or do this or move here. Sometimes I can give you that, but I can go ahead. Let's step back. Let's move all that out of the way. I can tell you why you exist. I can get to the deepest root of why you exist, fellowship and communion with God. And sometimes it's almost too simple of an answer. They want some, That's it. That is it. We sang that song about being in the presence of God. That's what we were created for, to be in the presence of God continuously, to be in fellowship and communion with God. That's the highest purpose in life, not fame, not success, not knowledge in the worldly sense. The highest purpose and greatest thing is fellowship with God. John 17, 3 says this. I throw a lot of scriptures you guys are saying, I thought we were in Genesis. We're in Genesis. We're getting there i got to build something before we get there. 
This is eternal life. What all people seek, eternal life. What is it? That they may know you, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You say, where's the Spirit? Well, let me tell you this. You can't know Him apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm teaching the Holy Spirit class and the grow classes. One thing you'll continuously see about the Holy Spirit's ministry is He takes and puts all the attention on somebody else. I'm going to glorify Jesus. So He's working in creation. He's working in recreation. He's working in salvation. But you don't know it a lot of times. Because instead of Him saying, look at me, He says, look at Him. And so here's the purpose, eternal life, that you may know the Father, that you may know the Son, and that you may know the Spirit, that you may have fellowship and you, you may have communion with God. That's what you read in Genesis. That's what God created. That's why he created. Now, I'm going to show you a picture. You got the picture? Uh-oh, this got weird in here, didn't it? <laughs> this is a 15th century painting. I shared this in my grow class, but they didn't get to see the picture. They just got to hear the story. Man, the first time I ever saw this in theology class, I thought, those are some girly-looking guys. That's the first thing I thought. I don't have an artistic eye, okay? I'm just being honest with you guys right now. I thought, wow, what is that? That just looks, mm. But when somebody breaks it down and tells you, here's what this means, here's what this represents, you start to see something extremely amazing. So this is a 15th century painting by a Russian monk. And he's painting, and he's got the story of Genesis 18. Whether you agree or disagree with that, I'm just telling you his motives. Genesis 18 is where the three visitors come to visit Abram. And he saw that as a picture of the Trinity. You wrestle with that, I'm just telling you what he saw. But I see some things in this that I want to teach you and tell you about tonight that tie into talking about creation. And so what you have on the left is the one, or it's my left, so it would be uh, your left too. How about that? The Father. You have the Father on the left. He's got blue. Blue represents divinity, that he's divine. And he's wrapped in gold. That's talking about kingship. And so he's portraying the father as divine and king. Okay? See that his head's kind of leaning towards the sun, and the sun's head is kind of leaning towards him because the sun is in the middle. Again, blue because he's divine. But he has crimson. And crimson represented humanity or the shed blood. And so he's painting this picture. Notice what's right behind the sun. And you may have to turn around here to look and see it better. It's, it's a little bit brighter on the back wall. That's fine. But you see, it's actually an oak tree. Because he met him under the oak tree. But what did the sun hang on? He hung on the tree. And so this guy's painting with all these things in mind. That the, the father is divine and he's king. And the son is divine. And he shed his blood and he hung on a tree. And the next thing that you see is the Holy Spirit. And here's the Holy Spirit again in blue. They're all in blue because they're all divine. One God and three persons, but he's got green. And green represents life, or it represents renewal and bringing these things forth. And he's painted this picture as a picture of the Trinity. And he sees them all leaning their heads. They're all leaning towards each other. It's fellowship. It's communion. You see the, the chalice in the middle, which for them was very important because it represented communion, the blood shed. But notice right at the bottom, there's a little square. Do you see that? Like something was on the table. Everybody see that right under the chalice? So when you looked at this picture, the original picture, there was a mirror there. So that when you looked at that picture, it put your face in that picture. 
And what he was saying is that we were created to be a part of this fellowship. You see your face right there. If there were a fourth seat, not saying we're equal with God, but he's saying this fellowship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that's taken place from all eternity. When you look at that picture and you catch that and you realize that, then you look down, you see your face in the picture. You have now, by being a child of God, been brought into that fellowship. Created in his image. And the Lord prepares a table for us to dine with him. It's fellowship, it's intimacy. That's a lot better than just seeing three girly guys. I could never come up with that. But I think that's amazing that he sees that and he understood that and he painted this. And so when I look at Genesis and when I think about why did God create and I think about God being triune, your mind can run a thousand places. You can feel like you're never going to understand these things. But when you just get simple and say from all of eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have had perfect fellowship, perfect communion, Love between them. And God created in order that I might get to be a part of that. And even though we sinned and rebelled, he went to the extent that he did by sending his son that we might still be able to be a part of that. That's what I want to read when I read Genesis. When I read the book of Genesis, I don't just want to say it was seven days and this and it was this and this. I want to see a deeper why, God. Why did you create? Why did you create Adam? What is the purpose? What are we here for? So Genesis not only gives us the story of how and what God created, but also why. So when you get to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, all the way to, I believe, 2, 3. I don't know why they did this. Whoever put the numbers in did not stop the creation story when they should have. Because if you read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you have to read to chapter 2, verse 3 to finish the first creation story. Then you pick up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, and you run through. And so in the first three chapters of Genesis, there's two accounts of creation. So I'm talking about two different creations. So if you've ever read through and wondered what's going on, Genesis 1 through 2, 3 is kind of like your 30,000-foot view. When you fly over something in an airplane and you look at it, it's not the same, Randy, right? I mean, you're looking at the same thing, but it looks different because you're seeing it from way up high. And you're getting the whole scope of what's going on. That's what you read when you read the first part of Genesis. When you get to Genesis 2, 3, you start getting the feet on the ground. You get the close-up view of what's going on. So 30,000-foot view, Genesis chapter 2, ground level. So Genesis 1, what does Genesis 1 do for us? When you read through and it talks about God created, and I don't want to go through all these. I'm going to let you do that on your own time. But what does it say about everything that God created? At the end of it, it says, it was it was good. Notice that. That's important. God created and he didn't create anything bad. He didn't create anything evil. God created and it was good. Everything that he created, it reflects the goodness of God. Creation is not evil. There's a lot of people, especially with certain uh, beliefs, even within Christianity, that just want to say, scrap all of creation and send me to heaven. I look forward to the day that I do get to go to heaven and be in his presence. But we've got to remember the whole story leads us to a renewed earth, a new heaven and a new earth. And so I'm not saying that salvation is through recycling. I'm glad somebody's laughing at my jokes. But I am saying we should care. We should care about creation. We should see the things that are actually sin and sinful. We wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. 
And we shouldn't see the creation as just something to be scrapped. We should care for the things that God created. It's a good creation and it reflects His glory. When you've seen the sunlight, when you've seen the mountains, when you've seen the ocean, you've had that experience of wow. And as Christians, we shouldn't just be impressed by the ocean, but we should be impressed by the Creator. The one who created that said, you stop here and go no further. The one who created the mountains, and we say, wow, how great is that? What about the one who created the mountains? And so that's the way we have to look, even at creation. And God cares for both the physical and the spiritual. I think that's something extremely important. A lot of times we focus so much on the spiritual at the neglect of the physical. But when God created Adam, he created the body, and then he breathed into him. He cares for you physically and spiritually. Praise God for that. That's what salvation truly means. Sozo, wholeness, completeness. God created and God redeems the whole person and the whole creation. Not just spiritually, but also physically. And Genesis 1 through 2, 3 reveals for us the character of God. So if you go back tonight and you or this week and you want to read Genesis 1 through 2, 3, and you're going to see all these days... God created, God created, God created. Look at it and say, what does this tell me about him? It's going to tell you that he's good. It's going to tell you that he puts order to things. It's going to tell you that he created things to be fruitful and to multiply. God is not a cosmic killjoy. Anybody that gets the idea that God just wants to suck the life out of something, or that now if I become a Christian, I truly and wholly follow the Lord, all of these good things are going to be taken from me, you haven't read Genesis right. You don't know the God of the Bible. Any limits that he set are for your benefit. Anything that he said stops and doesn't go here, anything that he says needs to be separated, light and dark, there's a reason he's doing that, and it's for your benefit, and it's for your good. Genesis 1.28. I don't know if everybody else will preach as much. They may teach more, but it's my opportunity. Genesis 1.28. This, I did put this one in here. No, 1.26. Please put 1.26 up. Created in the image of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? You're created in the image of God. Every person is created in the image of God. How many times have you heard that growing up? How many times have you heard that being in church? What does it mean when it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness? And then what's the next thing it says? Let them have dominion. Put them in charge. Let's put it in layman's terms. God created you in his image and in his likeness and then gave you dominion and authority. That's a very important thing to know about creation and about our creator. Created us in his image and in his likeness. We're able to to think and to reason and do things that animals cannot do. We're able to fellowship and communion with God like animals and others cannot do. There's something about us different. People like to say many times that human or humanity is is the pinnacle of creation. God says very good. And he gave us dominion. This is what you need to know. Being created in the image of God, that word image, means you reflect. You look like him, you talk like him, but you, you reflect. Because here's what you have. When he speaks this, he's speaking this to Adam. Adam and the woman. And I'll, I won't get there tonight. Her name's not Eve yet, but we'll get to that. I talked to the pastor about that earlier. So when they were created, and he gave them this commission, if you want to say, he gave them, said, have dominion over the fish and the seas and over the birds and the air, over the cattle, over everything on the earth and every creeping thing that creeps. And later, we'll talk about this, he tells Adam to tend the garden. Here's the thing. God created, created us in his image and in his likeness, and then told us to go and reflect that in all of creation. 
So when Adam and Eve had children, and they taught them the things of God, and they raised them up in the presence of God, and then they went and had children, they did the same thing, and they cared for the creation that God had, the glory of God began to push out from the garden. It was never meant to be contained in the garden. The plan and purpose of God was to put them in the garden and for them to push that so that the glory of God covered all of creation like the waters cover the ocean. That is what God created. So when he gives us dominion and authority, it's not so that we can say, hey, look what I have. But it's to say, let me reflect the one who created me. Let me reflect the one who has given me this dominion and power. And you need to understand that, that as a redeemed child of God, you have authority. My mother is not very big. But there was a time in her life where with one hand, in Cleburne County, she could stop a semi. That's pretty impressive. Imagine the spankings that I got. You want to know, I'm sorry, Katie. You want to know why she could do that? Because she was an officer of the sheriff's department. Oh, when she wore that suit and had that badge, she had an authority given to her that allowed her to do something based on the authority and power given to her. Not because she was strong enough, but because the authority and power had been given to her to do that. So as a redeemed child of God, when Jesus says, like, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I give it to you, just like Adam and Eve were created to take the goodness of God and spread it through all of creation, you've been redeemed and empowered by Jesus to take the goodness of God and put it everywhere, to reflect it in your family, to reflect it at work, to do all those things, because he's the one that's given you this dominion and authority to reflect him and his goodness. Does that make sense? This is why God created you, not just to enjoy him, but to enjoy him and make him known. As you get in his presence and you begin to know him, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to love him. In the high times, in the low times, in the difficult times, and all those, you will find him faithful. There's nothing impossible with God. And you have a purpose. I don't care where you're at in your life. If you're at the lowest point, you need to remember God created me. And he's given me dominion, he's given me authority to make much of him. And in doing that, I find my true purpose. That may play out as a nurse, as a teacher, as a stay-at-home mother, as a banker, as a pastor. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be a preacher to reflect God. The moment you are a redeemed child of God, you now begin to reflect the image of your father. The image of your elder brother, Jesus. That's why you're conformed to the image of Christ. Because he's the perfect image. And the more we reflect him, the more we find out we're doing what Adam was supposed to do but failed to do. But God didn't give up on the plan. He didn't scrap the plan. He didn't say, I created, you guys lost it, it's all over. He knew before creation what would happen and the extent that he would have to go to. But he still did it. Did it anyway. That should mess with you in a good way. Even on the difficult days, you have a purpose to reflect the one who created you, the one who redeemed you. We got a little bit more time. You guys tell me, are you good? You can ask questions too. I'm preaching a little more than teaching, but if you have a question or a comment, you throw a hand up and we'll talk about it. Clint. Mm-hmm. You could say that in a sense. Absolutely. 
Because he's not saying you, Clint, in your own power can tell that mountain to move. But he's saying if you understand, if you understand that you even have a tiny mustard seed of faith in God, then the power of God will work in and through you because I've given it to you. Does that make sense? And here's another thing, too. You can't just go out and begin to speak to every little thing and see it. It's got to align with the Word of God, right? Make sure you understand that point. You start going out and trying to win millions of dollars and this and that, and it may not be, but if you, if you align, if your words align with the Word of God, and you've been given the authority to speak those words, things happen. They have to happen. We didn't even talk about this, but God spoke and all things were created. And so when he gives us authority and he gives us power, our words matter. When JoJo said speak life, you need to understand that your words are more than just words. When you're a redeemed child of God and your words line up with the word of God and you begin to speak those over your life and over other people's lives, things begin to change and things begin to happen. Not because of you in and of yourself, but because of whose you are and the power that's now in you. Made in his likeness. He spoke. Yes. Yes. Think about that. Faith cometh by hearing. Something powerful that we see in creation and in speaking and in the power of God being let out in that. So absolutely, that's a great point. Anybody else before we move on a little bit? Yes, ma'am. No, go ahead, go ahead. The flood? He's going to handle that one. No. <laughs> no, it did not. No, it did not. Because here's the thing. You've got to track, you track this. Now, we haven't made it to this point yet, but I'll go ahead and let some things out of the bag. God speaks something to Adam and Eve. He says, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. That, that's a divine blessing that's put over them. And as you read through the book of Genesis, you're going to find that same thing spoke over Noah. And then you're going to find it again in Abraham's life. And it gets a little more detailed. And so the plan never got scrapped. The plan never got scrapped. There was, all, there, was, there was one righteous man and his family. And from that family comes the Redeemer that's spoken of. That's what my next week's message is. We're going to get into that part of it next week. No, you're good. Absolutely. That's perfect to ask because you do wonder that. Like, what's the purpose? Why, why, didn't, why didn't he just scrap it and start over? Well, because he started it and he's going to finish it. Mm-hmm. No. Kept with the plan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Plan keeps going. When God speaks it and God says it, it's going to come forth. It's going to take place. Yes. You mic'd up, Pastor. Now, you want to, I can't give you an exact date. I would say the angels were created before. So when you have God is eternal, then you have the creation of the angelic beings, then you have the creation of the earth and man. Agree? That's the way I see that going, the way the Bible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Angels have multiple purposes. One is to worship 
to glorify God. But they're also uh, messengers. They're sent out to accomplish the plans and purposes of God. So God is the one who is doing all these things, but he will many times work through an angelic messenger. Think about, we used it to pray uh, last week, I think it was, when Peter's in prison. God didn't just tap it. He sent an angel. But it was God who did it, but it was the angel who carried it out. Does that make sense? So God will work in and through angels, in and through people, but it is God who is the one that is working. Does that kind of help you, Ms. Gail? Mm -hmm. Where are the angels? Yeah. Okay, so here's where we're going tonight. I promise if I've been a little bit scattered, here's where I want to land tonight because I want to see this. I want you guys to catch this because in my Bible... When I read this right here, I just want to read this to you, and then I'm going to tell you what the kind of subtitle is. So Genesis chapter 2, if you have your Bible, you can go there. Dwayne, you don't have to put this on the screen. I'm going to read Genesis 2, 4 through 7, and then we're going to dive into a few things, and that's where we're going to end tonight. So Genesis 2, starting verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth. When they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So here you have the creation of man. And the, the subtitle, which is not a part of the original scripture, but it's what the people put in my Bible, but I like it. It says, stops right there, breaks to a new paragraph, and it says this, life in God's garden. Life in God's garden. And so that tells you, here's, God has created Adam, he's about to put him in this garden, and this is what was supposed to happen. This is why. Here's what he created him for. Here's what he was supposed to be doing. Here's what life in God's garden looks like. So, you read on just a little bit, and it says that the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll talk more about those next week. Now, a river went out of Eden to water the garden. From there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first was the Pishon. I'm just going to skip through this part. You guys good with that? Verse 15 is where I want to get, because i got to get you there, and i got to get you to this point. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To tend and to keep it. Okay? He put the man in the garden to tend or to keep it. So that just sounds like he set Adam in a garden and was like, you better do some pruning. Better keep some things going, right? I mean, just when we read it, in the English translation, they're doing the best they can do. And so he takes man and he puts him in this garden and he tells him to tend it. That doesn't sound like a very exciting life. But you got to understand, Shane shared this one night. you got to understand that this is like a garden you've never seen. This is a creation. You think that sunset looked beautiful. You can't imagine what this garden looked like because there had been no sin in the world yet. And so God takes this man that he created and he puts him in this place that is life-giving, that is satisfying. And he gives him work that is not work like you or I think because nothing has been cursed yet. Right. And he gives this man work to do that will be life-giving, that will create something in him 
that will create a worship, a connection to God. It's not work apart from God because what this word tend means in the Hebrew can also be worship. Sometimes in your Bible, that word tend is translated worship depending on which translation you have. God put Adam in the garden not simply to prune it, but to tend it, to cultivate it, and in doing that, it was a form of worship. That's what he was created for. As he took of the fruit, and as he ate it, and as he tended it, and as it began to spread, he had his purpose, he found his joy, he found his satisfaction, he found a deeper connection with the one who created him. That is what God intended for Adam. That's what God intends for every single person. He didn't create us for a life of meaninglessness. He created us for a life of joy and a life of peace. Now, sin has entered. We'll talk about that next week. So, yeah, we've got, we're dealing with a cursed ground. But we gotta, we're getting to, we got to get to the original purpose before we talk about that. If we jump to that too quick, we don't understand the good things. So that word, tend, when you get to Exodus... Let me finish this one real quick. When you get to Exodus and the people of Israel are taken out and God says this, let them go. Let my people go that they may serve me. You know, guess what Hebrew word it is? It's the exact same one as tend. God said, let my people go. Let them out that they can do what I created them to do. That they can serve me because in tending the garden, you're serving God. And in serving God, you're figuring out who you are and what you were here for. That's what creation is about. That's why God created you. That's why God has placed you here. And we'll deal with sin and all those things next week, but you've got to understand that God has given us a mandate to tend the garden. Randy, do you have something before I finish this? Yes. Okay. Bringing it forth to present it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As he brought that, it was an offering. Yes, absolutely. And so here's the thing. We have to work. We have to tend. But what did Jesus say? Come to me, all who are weary. See, when you tend and work for Satan, when you tend and work for the flesh, you are weary. You're beat down. You don't know your purpose, but you know you're supposed to be doing something. So as you begin to tend for that, it pulls life away from you. But when you get saved, when you get redeemed, and you figure out I'm a child of God, and he has given me a mandate, and as I begin to serve him, and as I begin to tend the garden he's given me, things begin to change. I begin to see that I was created in the image of God. I have a purpose, whatever that is. And so here's where I'm going to end with my little prophetic thing. Tend your garden. Whatever your garden looks like. Men, you got wives, tend the garden. You got children, tend the garden. Because guess what? We are dealing with a fallen world. Where thorns and thistles will try to come in. And you have to work to get those out. You have to tend the garden. What's the prayer? Is it Psalm 127? What is it? Pray it over your wife that she be a fruitful vine. I'm putting him on the spot. He wasn't expecting that, so... Psalm 128. See, I got it wrong. Psalm 128, he says, he prays. He's praying over his wife. So let her be a fruitful vine. Let my children be olive shoots round about my table. He realized he had to tend his family. 
And intending his family, he was doing the work that God created him to do. And it brought honor to God. And he realized that that was the purpose. This is it. I'm not just working. I'm serving. I'm worshiping. I'm pushing forward. I'm reflecting the image of God. And so you've got to tend your heart. Why do you think Jesus talked about soil and seed? You've got to tend your heart. Because things are trying to come up. Roots of bitterness. Things are trying to come up, the cares of this world. You have to tend your heart to be able to receive the things of God. Through repentance, through prayer, through reading the Word, you are constantly tending your heart and drawing closer and closer to the presence of God. Tend your family, tend your children, tend your relationships that you have at work and all these things. Tend them. But know that as you're doing that, you're serving God. Do all that you do to the glory of God doesn't matter what you're doing. You do it to the glory of God because that's why he's put you here. Share the gospel. Live the gospel. Again, go into Jesus' words. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go. Go. Reflect the image of God. Broken because of sin. Redeemed by the blood and restored to the image so that you now can go out and reflect rightly who God is and what he looks like. Tend the garden. That's why Adam was put here. He had a purpose. Tend the garden. Offer it to God as worship. Draw closer in presence with God. We'll talk about that next week because Adam was able to walk and talk face to face with God. And there's a man named Jesus who came back and spent 40 days in a wilderness in order that you and I might live a fruitful life. So tend the garden. Draw close to God. Have that face-to-face communion with Him. Look at every area of your life and say, God, how can I tend this better? How can I do what I need to do to bring forth more fruit for your glory and for the good of others? Amen? That's what creation's about. More than that, that's who our Creator is. A good God. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. That's where I'm at. I didn't know where I was going with this. I pray that you, God, have have taken the words that I've said and helped people to understand you better. I thank you that you've given us a purpose that goes above and beyond just our individual thoughts, but it's a greater purpose And it's where we'll find true joy and satisfaction when we tend the garden. Wherever you've put us, God, as we draw close to you, as we begin to know you better, as we begin to live more in line with your word, and we reflect your image, God, whether that be with our spouse, whether it be with our children, whether it be with our relationships, anywhere and everywhere we are, let the glory of God be reflected in and through our lives as we draw closer to you. And we thank you that you sent your Son that hung on a tree. Sin entered because of an act that involved a tree, but sin has been taken care of because of an act that took place on a tree called Calvary. So God, let us always remember that and let us live in the goodness of God and be fruitful for your glory and for the good of others. In Jesus' name, bless these, your people. Amen. Amen.